the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Curate Wellco, a business consultancy and marketing agency, and considered a curbside coffee shop. On the Curate side, she helps entrepreneurs, small businesses, and startups change narratives and redefine norms in industries that are desperately calling for something different. On the Considered side, she leads a team in making great coffee, providing an unparalleled customer experience, and setting a new standard in the service industry. These days, not much is predictable for Pia, and she's supported by two outstanding teams. When she's not working, you can find her at the beach, walking with her dog, King, or soaking up slow mornings in front of the fireplace. Pia and her team have been part of my extended team since last year, and they have been instrumental in helping to launch the Girls Club Collective, update my brand messaging, and put community at the center of my business. In this episode, Pia and I chatted about everything from how she has taken a full-stack approach to business through Curate Wellco to how she's translated that to curbside coffee with Considered. We also talked about what it was like for Pia to receive an OCD diagnosis at 28 and a whole bunch of other things. It was such a privilege to get to have this conversation with Pia, and I know you're going to enjoy getting to know her as much as I have. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to have Pia back here today. She is the founder and CEO of Curate Wellco. Um, and also, Pia, I'm guessing official title too is founder and CEO of Considered Coffee. Yes, as of late. <laughs> as of late. Amazing. Well, we'll get into that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, Pia, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Liz. I can't wait. Ah, this is like so fun. Um, as context, I first met Pia. Uh, I was actually like really impressed by um, her introduction post in Dreamers and Doers. It was like beautiful and like comprehensive. And I think Pia, you're like one of the first people I know. I've told you this a couple times, but like you're one of the only people I can think of in recent history where like I went to your website and I read every word on every page. <laughs> it's like, this is so good. It is like so deeply speaking to a need. Um, and at the time, I remember like looking at like all the different options for working with Curate Wellco. And I was like, I can't even imagine like how like my business could support this, but I really want it to happen um, and have gotten – and it happened. I made it happen. Um, <laughs> it happened. And we've gotten to partner on a few different things um, over the past, gosh, almost year now. Uh, and so fun to get to bring on the podcast and introduce you to 
people in my world. I'm honored to be here. Yay. Well, now gushing, uh, I I won't say complete, but I feel like there's probably more to come. Um, (laughs) um, Would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Pia, and I um, am the founder of Curate Wellco, which is a business consultancy and marketing agency. That was my first business. Um, I started it about three years ago, um, maybe a little bit more at this point, and totally like bootstrapped and winged the whole thing. I like quit my job um, pretty uh, much on a whim <laughs> and um, very... Um, strong conviction whim, <laughs> but still uh short notice. I didn't have any financial runway or um, plan or anything <laughs> and um, kind of just grew it brick by brick. And now we have a team of um, probably about 15 people um, on the curate side, which is really cool. Um, we get to serve entrepreneurs and small businesses and startups that are really looking to do something different in their space. Um, and so the way it's always been done clearly isn't working in some way, shape, or form. And we get to work with the people who are, um, in my opinion, brave enough to uh, be willing to admit that and um, also dedicated enough to the collective good to be willing to change it. Um, And that is uh, so fulfilling and incredible. Um, And we get to support a lot of really important work that's being done in a lot of different industries. Um, And then recently, my team and I launched Considered, which is a sister company of Curie Wellco in a totally different space. It's a coffee shop, a mobile coffee shop, actually, in a 1965 VW bus. Um, So that's here in Santa Barbara, where um, myself and my leadership team are based. And we've been up and running for about a month now. Um, and that's been a whole other adventure. Uh, I was telling you just before we started recording that it was pouring down rain this morning. So that's a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, that's been super fun and, um, totally different business model. Um, a lot of crossover, which is really cool. Like there were some parts of that that we were like so prepared for and did really well and are like totally strengths of ours compared to some of the other coffee shops in town. And then there's like this whole other set of activities that um, I knew nothing about, still know nothing about, and like kind of just cross my fingers that like work out okay sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's been really cool to get to build a business in like a totally different way. Ah, that's so fun. Well, I definitely want to talk about like both like arms or sisters within (laughs) the overall umbrella. Um, would love if you wouldn't mind telling us like a little bit more about, um, I love how you just described Curate Wellco and sort of like the heart behind the brand, um, but would love to hear a little bit more about like the role that you play in like the broader entrepreneurial ecosystem and more about who you work with and how. Yeah, for sure. So we are not the people who are going to help you um, – like create a course with a really complex funnel that's totally automated that you launch over and over again and earn passive income from. Um, We're very open to different formats of offerings. Um, We work with some product-based businesses. We work with a lot of service-based businesses. um, And there's varying degrees of involvement that come with the offers that we help our clients build. Um, But we are really the people who are going to help create an experience that both 
like you as the founder and the leader of your business and the people who are consuming your product are um, involved in in the right ways. So we're not against automation, right? If it makes your life a little bit easier. And I'm definitely of the belief that we're never going to be able to replace like the human experience. Um, And so we don't really work with people who identify as like online business owners, although we have an online presence and most of our clients do as well. we're really working with the people who um, are are interested in taking a pretty grassroots approach to building their movement. Um, and so what that looks like is really calling people in. And so it's not really like marketing tactics, although of course, marketing strategy is a big part of what we do. It's more about how do we have people raise their hand and say, I am excited to opt into this. Like, this is something I want to be a part of. So that experience that you described, um, thank you, by the way, for all the compliments about our our copy and our website. Um, That's like very intentional, right? And that's what we help other people do is we want it to really resonate. We want to make it relatable. We want to make it um, irresistible, but not in that like shiny, like sexy way, but more so in that like, oh, wow, like this is speaking to my values and my beliefs and my worldview. And these are my people and they're doing something that I believe in. Um, And so that's what we help a lot of the people that we work with do. Um, And then that comes in all shapes and forms. Totally. I mean, I think like the line, if I'm going to like quote something I believe is on your website and all over your marketing that like just really struck me is like your industry is calling for something different. Like we think you're it. Yeah, it's um, pretty much every industry, unfortunately, and like the world that we live in these days is um, not uh, doing things awesomely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it doesn't matter kind of like what space you're in. um, But I think that we've really come up on a time where there's like this revolution happening, right? Where everyone's just kind of like done, like I'm done. Mm I'm just like, I don't have the time, energy, attention, desire, interest in things that aren't um, thoughtful or exceptional or aligned with what I really care about or whatever that is. And that's across like all areas of our lives. Um, And I think that that definitely applies to like the things that we spend our money on um, and the products we consume and the services that we consume. And so um, we are really looking to work with the people who are like, oh yeah, like, I don't really want to do it this way. <laughs> who, who said we, like, who said to do it this way in the first place? And like, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to my people. It's kind of just like not intuitive, not interesting, not exciting, um, and not like what I would choose to do if there wasn't this like weird precedent that this is like, quote unquote, the way it should be done. Um, and so we take a lot of principles that applied to that approach And keep the rules we like and also just like throw out the rules that we don't like and recreate things that kind of sort of already exist, but not really. Absolutely, which is so cool. And I do think that like this idea too of like helping kind of be someone's co-founder, helping them think through stuff, you know, especially for people who like maybe initially started their businesses as solopreneurs or like freelancers. I know what was true for me, like, you know, when I got started – it was just sort of like, you know, how can I find like clients and projects and stuff to work on to like support myself? But like pretty quickly, it was like, oh no, I'm running a business. And it's just, yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday who 
is at the very early stage of of entrepreneurship and consulting and and she and she actually reflects she's like it's in I hadn't really thought about this is like I have a business and it's just a huge mindset shift but it also like totally. it can be so lonely to try to figure that out when like you got into doing this because you love what you do and not necessarily because you were like looking to build a business yeah absolutely um it's really common. We hear this all the time of like, I started my business to do this thing that I'm really good at, that I have a lot of interest in. And like, I had no idea that I was also signing up for like this other laundry list of things that like, I don't want to do. I'm not good at. Um, I understand the importance of, but like, really, it's just kind of like not what I want to put my attention on. Um, and so that's kind of where we come in. And um, we're very different than I think a lot of other kind of like modern agencies in that we're not like prescribing anything. Um, we have a lot of really talented people on our team who have a lot of knowledge that they're like eager to apply. And we're not attached to like any one framework or model or process or whatever. Um, and so it gets to be really collaborative. And uh, every time we work with a client, it's different, which I love. And I think, you know, keeps us on our toes and helps us get better all the time too. Well, and one thing that also I find so interesting about just both how you've like communicated about what you do, um, but also really approached your work both like for and within the business and then also like for your clients is this idea of like a full stack approach. Mm -hmm. And so for people who are listening who like aren't tech people, <laughs> what um, how would you define tech uh, full stack approach? And like, yeah, what does that what does that look like? Yeah, for sure. So I'll define it in like the technical terms first, just so everyone kind of knows, like, if you Google this, this is what's going to come up. And then I'll explain how we've sort of adopted that phrase as and turned it into here's what it means for you. Um, so full stack is an approach to building technology. So typically there's the front end and the back end of any sort of technology. So take um, like your iPhone, for example, the front end is everything you see right? It's the squares on the screen. It's the way it looks. It's the color blue of the message bubble. It's um, the fact that you can swipe up and like find a screen that you were missing and like whatever, right? It's like all of the things that the consumer interacts with is what's on the front end. And then what's on the back end is all of the like arguably less sexy stuff that allows it to do that. Right. So on the back end of an iPhone, the thing that you never see when you're using it is someone went in there and programmed, you know, if you touch the screen here, this thing happens. So you don't really see that technology working. You can't find that code anywhere as part of the user experience, but it's equally as important because it's making the front end possible. And so there are um, front end technology developers and there are back end technology developers. And then there are full stack developers, which are people who can do a little bit of everything. And the idea behind a full stack approach is that you can't have one without the other, right? If you've got a backend technology without the front end, it's not consumable because it's not pretty. If you have a front end technology without a back end, it's not powerful. It can't actually like do anything. It might look cute, but your message probably isn't going to send or, you know, whatever it is. And so full stack development is building both the front end and the back end and doing so in a way that really integrates the two for a more holistic experience. And so you're building the front end with the back end in mind and you're building the back end with the front end in mind. And it gets to be this kind of like beautiful intertwined 
web of strategy that creates a whole that is essentially greater than the sum of its parts. And so that's what it means in a tech sense. Um, how we've kind of taken that philosophy and adopted it is that we help our clients. We're a full stack team, which means there are some people on our team who are really good at the front end stuff, i.e. graphic design and copywriting and um, website design and you know everything that your customers and clients will see. And then we've got uh, other people who are really good at the back end. So they're the people who are doing like our ClickUp builds and making sure your Dubsado automations are working and are you know building ICA profiles that inform the copy that then ends up on the website. And you know it comes in a whole bunch of different formats, but we have the capability to do all of it. And the way that we keep everything intertwined and integrated and holistic is because we do a lot of communication internally as a team. And so instead of you as the founder going out and saying, okay, I'm going to hire this copywriter over here and this graphic designer over here and this person over here to do the ClickUp build, when you hire Curate Wellco, you get all of those things and we all talk to each other on the back end. So you aren't having to play telephone between all these different people. And we really get to know you as a founder and your business in a lot of detail and build that relationship relationship and we talk to each other all day, every day. And so we're able to accomplish something that is, um, in my opinion, an experience a little bit more robust. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're able to do it with, I think a lot less hassle and frustration and, uh, back and forth. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I can say like having been on like the receiving end of like getting to work with you in this way. It's so, it is so nice to have like the single point of like contacts and then like, and to not necessarily like in so many ways as a founder, like you're the node for everything. Um, and to like, and that takes up so much brain space and energy Mm -hmm. and emotional space. And in many ways, I'm still the node in my business, but to have like a whole set of things that I don't have to be the node for is so (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yeah. I think that, um, a lot of people don't realize when they start a business, how much like a mental and emotional capacity, it takes to just like operate a business, right? Totally different than like the thing that you're good at or the service that you're providing or the offer that you're putting out into the world. It's like, just like, it's all the balls, right? Like you just have all the balls in the air and it's so many things and there's so many decisions. And, you know, I think we've all had that moment of like decision fatigue where you sit down at the end of the day and you're just like, "Mm, the answer is no. <laughs> totally. Or if you're like partners, like, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, I don't care. Just feed me. <laughs> Literally anything. <laughs> anything I don't have to pick. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sometimes my partner and I joke, sometimes our answer to that question is sleep. Like, I want sleep for dinner. I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's so much. And to be able to offload some of that brain space to a project manager on our team who kind of acts as that node and connects all the dots, and then know that you have this like roster of people who are each good at something different, who are all kind of working together to make it happen um, and who are pinging you really when it's like necessary um, and not pinging you when it's 
not is something that, um, again, didn't really exist before. But when I was thinking about like, as a consumer, what would I want if there wasn't this like rule about how agencies were built? I was like, this is what I would want. Like, we're always saying I need to replicate myself or I need a second brain or whatever. And so we really sat down and we're like, how can we be that? How can we be that second brain? How can we be the replicate of the founders that we're looking to support? Totally. I love that. Well, and I, I realized we like, I would love to like zoom out a little bit too of like, you mentioned like, you know, quitting your job kind of on a whim to start this business, but would love to hear just more about you and your journey and like how you came to be where you are today. Cause I think it's always so interesting to know, like, you know, the twists and turns that like get us to the moment we find ourselves in. Yeah, sure. So I was never that person that was like, this is what I'm going to do, right? You talk to people where they're like, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And like, they just know that, right? And they set out and they do that thing. I never really had that. Um, Growing up in retrospect, I can say that I was very like entrepreneurial. I was like selling bracelets on the side of the road and like, (laughs) you know, whatever, all the, all the things. I always had like a new business idea, none of which were successful. You know, now can say that I was always interested in just like creating things, Um, so like kind of taking nothing or like a collection of like little somethings and really turning them into something that like stands for something and means something and does something and produces some result. Um, and I went to school, uh, out here in Santa Barbara, um, and I studied communication, psychology, and professional writing. Um, again, just because I was like, these seem like practical choices. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but like, these are (laughs) things that are applicable. Um, and out right out of school, I worked for a tech company, um, and I was recruiting software engineers. And so that's where a lot of my tech knowledge came from. Um, I was totally like not qualified for that job. I had to learn all kinds of, it's like a whole second language. Um, like I was dropped into a role that didn't exist before. I was an internal recruiter at a company that was trying to hire the like unicorn software developers, full stack software developers. And, um, my interview was that they gave me, uh, like 12 job descriptions and they were like, okay, you have 48 hours to memorize these. And you're going to meet with the CEO of this company you know, two days from now, and you're going to be like quizzed on these job descriptions. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I just like, I memorized like 12 software engineering job descriptions. Um, and uh, I learned so much in that job. I had the benefit of getting to work with three co-founders who are all super different from each other. And so um, aside from like all of the technical knowledge that I gained that I'm super grateful for and, you know, learning how to have conversations with people um, and also kind of like building out the processes for this like recruiting role that didn't exist before, I also gained so many like soft skills and communication skills that have served me later. Like having to report to three people who couldn't agree on anything um, was such a good experience. It was so frustrating. (laughs) Like at the time I was just like, y'all need to like go into this room and like get on the same page and then like come back and get me when you're done. Um, That didn't happen in the time that I was there. Um, And you know, and like, I'm, I'm glad that I got to like learn from that experience. And I got to learn the different leadership and management and communication styles and personalities that all these people had, um, and kind of learn how to like flex in and out of that. So, um, from there, I took a job, um, as the head of HR for a startup company. Um, when I started there, it was about 70 people and they had no HR department. 
Um, and by the time I left, there were like 170 people. And so I spent my time there, like, you know, more than doubling this team, um, their business model. It was actually a food and beverage company. So again, like in retrospect, learned a lot that I got to apply later with considered. Um, we did corporate catering for tech companies and their business model was to like copy and paste their operations in a new city every like three to six months. And so, yeah, it was really intense. It was like chaos all the time, no matter what. Um, and I was a team of one for a lot of my time there. Um, towards the end, I got a couple of direct reports and I had a little team. Um, but for the majority of my time there, I was a team of one and I kind of had to like retroactively build this HR department and then set it up such that like all of these teams in all of these cities could operate without HR because I couldn't be everywhere. So it was like I was HR and then I had all these like branches and there were managers in every city and I had to set them up for success to fire people and like onboard people and train people and get documentation from people and like all of these things. And so really good lesson in um, like scalability. That was, again, I grew so much in that job. Like I said, it was it was chaos all the time. And I ended up leaving because it was just like, I was just so exhausted. Um, and like I learned, I learned so much. Um, I quit because it wasn't the best work environment. Um, and I reported to two co-founders and a COO there. So again, three people. They were a little bit more on the same page. Um, but it was just such a reactive like startup environment, kind of that like quintessential, like stereotypical startup environment. Um, like I watched uh, Silicon Valley. I watched like three episodes and then like had a panic attack and was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, this is like too familiar. Like it's not entertaining. It's like making me feel bad. Um, oh my gosh. I felt like watching um, separate, uh, but I think it's called Industry on HBO. Um, oh yeah. Like I'd ha- I've not worked in that space specifically, but I was like, oh my God, watching this show is giving me like the work stress that totally. I don't like, I don't, I don't have this work stress in my life anymore, but it's like triggering me. Well. Right? It was, it was so triggering for me. Um, and I had to be like, I can't, I, I can't watch, I can't, we need to pick a different show. I can't watch this. <laughs> um, so I ended up leaving because I was getting, we had this like weekly HR meeting and um, I kept getting stood up, like just ghosted for this meeting. Like there were calendar invites, there was a link, there was like all, it was at the same time on the same day every week. And I kept getting just kind of like stood up. And so I brought it up and was like, you know, you have a lot going on as founders and, you know, I haven't, like, there's an agenda. Like, I have things that I need answers on. Um, And I try to be, you know, really respectful of everyone's time by, like, having an agenda ahead of time. And I'm, like, prepared for these meetings to just, like, run through everything. Um, But I need you to, like, show up so I can, like, get answers (laughs) for, like, these things that are impacting these, like, 170 people that work for you. And they were like, yes, yes, okay, we hear you. And I was like, you know, if you can't make it, that's fine. But at least, like, RSVP to the invite or, like, let me know. Um, and so we like had this conversation. I thought we were on the same page. And then the very next meeting I got ghosted again, um, Uh. like totally stood up. And so I was like, okay, like there's not, there's not a place for me here. Right. This clearly like isn't a priority. I'm not a priority. And like fundamentally there's like a lack of like communication and like basic consideration that I think needs to be in place for me to 
feel like I have a place on this team. Um, and I imagine so like, like to keep working as hard as you had been working up and yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So I quit and, um, I was just like, I can't, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't going to work for me. And I thought about just going to another company and, you know, continuing to grow my career in that way. But I think what that job really taught me was like the ethos of what Carrie Wellco is today. Right. Which is like, it's not working. <laughs> right. So like do something different. And I knew that there were people out there who would be really intrigued by that idea. And I knew that I had, um, the skill set to be able to help them in, in doing that, like the right people, right. Who were interested in that. Um, and so kind of bit by bit through like a lot of iteration and feedback and quick action and just kind of like listening to the people who were willing to buy what I was putting out there, we turned Curie Wellco into what it is. And I did a lot of it by myself for a long time. Um, I think it was a year and a half before I even hired like any sort of help. Um, and then I started with a couple of like part-time hourly contractors and, um, then I, you know, eventually graduated to like full-time salaried employees. We still have, you know, contractors and whatnot, but, you know, people kind of ask like, how, how did this come about? And it's like, there's no short answer, right? It's like, there's no shortcut. There's no like secret thing that I did. There's no, like, I just did it. I just like showed up every day and like did the next thing that made sense. And that's like really all I think we can do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just so – such a beautiful and accurate, I think, description of entrepreneurship is you just like show up every day and you like do a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something. Who knows what it's going to be. <laughs> totally. And like, I, you know, I know we were talking for a minute before this call. It's like I also think like having like the most perfect, detailed, amazing plan is like, you know, something I learn and relearn is like, you know, you kind of just got to like take it as it comes. Like you can have a plan, but like (laughs) whatever plan you came up with two months ago, you came up with is probably not the plan that you actually need today. A hundred percent. And I'm also of the belief that like you can't deviate from a plan unless you have it. So like make the plan, right? (laughs) And then like stay flexible enough to wake up one day and be like, you know what? This felt right two months ago. It doesn't feel quite right today. So like how do we need to adjust and what can we do instead? Absolutely. I love that. Is Network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize and all you have to do is show up as yourself. 
We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps, PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Well, and I would love to hear a little bit more about like what inspired you to acquire the van slash bus <laughs> like, and to, to take this like full stack approach and like ethos um, and apply it to like a physical space and to coffee. Yeah. It was not totally premeditated. Um, it was a little bit of an accident. So um, we were hoping to expand into a brick and mortar space. We have an office here in Santa Barbara. We wanted a bigger space that could be our team offices, could also be a co-working space and would have a little cafe in it. Um, and then have like a photo studio component, be able to rent it out for events, kind of this like multi-purpose entrepreneurial hub for people. And so put together a whole business plan, secured funding, went to go look at spaces. We even put in a couple of offers on spaces. Um, and it just kind of like wasn't happening despite our like very best efforts. Um, we had, you know, we had funding in place. We had a really solid business plan. We had a really lovely, beautiful pitch deck. Um we were doing all the right things and it just kind of wasn't clicking. And I think that's just because the real estate market in Santa Barbara is um, awful. Mm -hmm. um, it's totally nuts. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, after, you know, months, like kind of putting this concept together and doing a lot of the groundwork and getting really clear on like what it was going to like look and feel like we spent about three months looking at spaces um, and we were seeing, you know, one to five spaces a week. Like we were, we were on it and we were like monitoring all the sites. And as soon as a new listing came up, we were like there, we like really put like our full effort into it. And, um, after about three months, I was like, okay, it's not working. <laughs> right. Like we can't just keep doing this. Um, and we'd kind of also exhausted all of the available spaces. Um, and we were like, do we just, you know, keep looking? And just like exponentially like drag this out until we like maybe find something or do we pivot and like do something that seems to make a little bit more sense right now. And so um, part of our initial vision was to have some sort of like outside ancillary component like in front of our space. And so I was like, well, what if we just do that for now? Start small. We don't need as much money. Um, we don't need to like deal with these landlords that are like kind of not taking us seriously. We don't need to like go, it's going to be easier, right. And cheaper basically to get started. And then we can get out in the community, start like growing, you know, our base of people, build brand awareness, and then revisit the brick and mortar space after we've, you know, done that. And we like have revenue and all of these things. So um, we were like, okay, well, we'll look into that. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. 
And then I was window shopping on Craigslist, which is something that my husband taught me about. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm, I'm like, I feel like I cannot do not window shop. Like everything in me is like, don't window shop on Craigslist. Go and look, knowing exactly what you want to find. <laughs> like once a week, he just um, goes on Craigslist and is like, let's see what's going on. Like what's out there this week. Um, so I learned that from him and I was doing that and I uh, saw this bus and um, I grew up with an old VW. We had a bug convertible. Um, so I had like, you know, fun memories and like sentimental component to that. And I always thought the buses were super cool. And um, this guy had this listing for this bus and his was really, it was really sentimental to him too. And he was like, I'm really sad to get rid of it, but you know, here's my reality, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and so it spoke to me and I went to go see it. And then I was talking with him and we kind of clicked right away and it was super cute. And he was like, oh yeah, my, you know, my full-time job is that I convert uh, sprinter vans for like van life people. Um, and I work at a shop here in town and I was like, fantastic. Here's what I want to do with this bus. Will you do it for me? <laughs> I was like, if I buy your bus, will you turn it into a coffee shop for me? Um, and he said yes. And I think he regrets that. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, and he got right to work on it. And um, so we built a really lovely relationship with him. He was super stoked to like have it, you know, have another life and keep it in town. And um, and he did the whole interior build. And then um, I did a decent amount of the work as well. I, I painted it. I painted the outside, um, which I also uh, had no desire or like anticipation of doing, but it just kind of happened. And then our team put together all the different pieces. And then before we knew it, we were like, we have a coffee bus. <laughs> um, and it's super cute and people love it. And it's also kind of like an engineering feat. Um, like it's really impressive. Like every time I like think about it for a sec, I'm like, wow, we fit a whole coffee shop into this like 80 square foot area that moves <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah, slowly ish, you know, we, we went, we actually went on the highway earlier this week for the first time and we got up to 50. So there we go. (laughs) No, yeah, we were, we were cruising. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't really intentional. It was kind of just, again, responding thoughtfully at every turn and just being committed to like what it stands for and being open to the different formats that it could take. Uh, so fun. Um, so fun. I think it's just so, so cool to see how you've applied this to a physical space of like disco ball, like bus, coffee. It's so cute. I can't wait to come have coffee there in person. Of course, it's like excited for you to see it. I can't wait. It's like never a hard sell for me to come to Santa Barbara anyway, but. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's even better. Yeah. It's super fun. We got to like treat it like a curate client and just kind of like build it from the ground up. And, um, and that was that was amazing. What's been like the biggest like surprise learning you've had in the journey of launching considered? <laughs> so many things. I I've done so many things I thought I would never do, like um change the oil on a generator on the sidewalk <laughs> on a Thursday. Um so like lots of like those types of things. And um And I think the thing that strikes me, this isn't like a super positive note, but I think it's really interesting. Um, Some people are just like really, really rude. Like being in the service industry has um, really opened my eyes, I think, to 
to like what's wrong with our like consumer culture. Um, like it's just so much more apparent when you're dealing with like physical goods than like a service, right? Like when you sell a service, people are paying a lot for, you know, uh, something that's a little bit less tangible, but that they are like very much opting into that they don't really like take for granted. I think there's a lot of people that take their coffee, their morning coffee order or their whatever for granted, right? Like you just assume it's going to like, I don't know, appear for you. Um, And so it's been really, really interesting to see how the community has responded to us, Um, especially in Santa Barbara, which is a relatively small town and in a lot of ways, a fairly like stuck in its ways town Um, and a very like uniform town, like visually and experientially. Um, And we kind of came in and just like, um, fuck that all up. So that's been, (laughs) it's been really interesting. And, you know, we have a lot of support from a lot of people. Um, We get so many people that walk by and they're like, wow, this is like stupid cool. Um, And then they buy coffee and they're like super stoked about it. And it's great. And then we also have people that are like, I'm going to call the cops every time you're parked here. And it's just been so interesting to, to, just like absorb that firsthand in a way that I think is so much more palpable than like someone's Instagram comment, right? Like it's so different when it's like to your face and someone is like, I don't want you here. I am going to call the cops every time you're here. And you're just like, okay, have a good day. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's so interesting. It's like, this is like, you know, it's one thing to talk about like doing things differently and to like get to do things differently from behind our computers or, like, in spaces that we curate. And, like, you know, I think to some extent, like, it it gives us, like, we have, like, the privilege of, like, creating, like, you know, the world that we want to be in. But, like, when you're going out into the world that is <laughs> and yeah. trying to do things differently, like, you are feeling in real time what, what the response to that is from people. 100%. That's such a good way to put it. And that is such a huge difference between the two businesses is like one exists in this world that we created and the other one exists in this world that we inserted ourselves into and are like trying to change for the better. And um, yeah, there's, there's certain days where it's, it's really hard. Um, and every time that we get that reinforcement around like something that we like deeply believe in, And someone's like, wow, I've never experienced this before. This was amazing. I'm like, right. And that's why we're doing it. And like, eventually people, (laughs) these are people. And also like, eventually we'll reach that tipping point where enough people hear about that, where they're like, okay, like I have to, I I get it. Right. Like it becomes mainstream at some point. Um, You just have to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So interesting. Well, something else I did want to talk about, um, if you're up for talking about it, I really appreciated how you've been really open, I, you know, on social media um, and, and your content and just how you show up about um, what it was like to get diagnosed with OCD at age 28. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's it feels inspiring to me that we're living in a moment where people are having real conversations about mental health in a way that they weren't necessarily like when we were growing up, but what was that like to get that diagnosis in your late twenties? Yeah, it was, um, 
unexpected. And after I had a chance to like sit with it and accept it, it was incredibly validating and so comforting and um, just clicked, right? It was like, I then got to like, you know, look back at the last however many years and be like, oh, right. Okay. This all makes sense now, right? Like I get it. There were like all of these signs that, you know, I missed, other people missed, my family missed, whatever. And now I can be like, oh yes, I have a reason now, right? Like this like lingering feeling of like, why do I feel this way? Why don't other people feel this way? Um, And this like sense of like disconnect that I felt like operating in the world like made sense. And that was just so comforting. And um, it also opened up the avenue for like getting treatment, um, which has improved the quality of my life, like more than I feel like I could express in words. Um, So I wish that it had happened earlier for the sake of like my childhood and like adolescent years and like young adult years. Um, And I think that it happened at a time where I had already kind of come to terms with myself in a lot of ways because I didn't know that there was like some underlying something else going on. And so it kind of just got to be this like extra little thing where I was like, oh, okay, this is like now a part of me too. And because I had this like strong foundation of like who I am as a person outside of that, I think I'm in a better place to be able to like speak up about it more openly and more confidently um, than I would have been had I been diagnosed with it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever, um, when it wasn't as openly accepted, right? And there was a lot more stigma about it. And I hadn't necessarily gone through all the life experiences that equipped me to be able to like talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I so appreciate your sharing that. And I'm curious, like, what has it been like to speak up about it? Like, what has that journey looked like for you? It's been pretty uneventful. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I kind of was just like, I feel the need to talk about this because no one's talking about it. Um, so while we've come such a long way in terms of our mental health, right, like it is so much less stigmatized and it is so much more accepted to talk about depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, um, all of these things, which is fantastic and like so necessary and so good. Um, there's definitely other layers to mental health that like aren't being talked about yet. And OCD is one of those things that is still pretty like misrepresented in the media. So I didn't know a lot about it when I got diagnosed. Um, and it took, uh, someone who's qualified, like explaining it to me and also me doing a lot of like research on my own to be like, oh yeah, this is like totally 100% what I have, but it never had been like represented to me or like role modeled to me in any way that was the same as I experiencing it, experience it and how the majority of people experience it. Right. So, um, you know, you see OCD represented, represented in the media as like flipping a light switch a certain number of times, or like, um, you know, wearing the exact same clothes every single day, which I like kind of sort of do a little bit, but not quite as extremely as it's shown in the media. Um, and I was like, well, I don't do that. Right. I don't feel the need to like, turn the doorknob or flip the light switch or wash my hands 18 times a day or whatever. Um, and that is, those types of OCD definitely exist. And there are, it, it displays in so many other ways. Um, and so I was like, I think people need to know about this. Um, and I think it's one of those experiences that is so profoundly um, lonely and 
consuming and like draining, like mm-hmm. energetically draining that um, I don't think people really understand. I think people write it off, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, you just have this thing that you like do, right? You just, you have to do this thing. And I don't think people realize the like tug of war that happens internally with yourself when you're like, I don't know why I can't let this go, but I can't. And I feel like it's my fault. Mm. Um, And that is so hard to not be able to point to anything outside of yourself of just like, yeah, I, I, it's me, right. I'm, I'm doing this. Um, And I think that people don't realize how much of like a toll that takes over time. Definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, that you just shared so much in that. Um, and I was actually going to ask you like what, what you wish more people knew. Um, and I feel like that it sounds like that's the piece is just that like one, how lonely that experience can be. And, and two, that it looks different than like Mm -hmm. the light switch. Like, yeah, totally metaphor or like you know thing that we've seen on tv that is um that is like just like sort of our very like quick association that's like doesn't go deeper than that at all yeah absolutely the like analogy that I've shared with people before that I think is a really powerful visual is that OCD feels like walking into a room and painting yourself into a corner and then like sitting there and waiting for it to dry And then it dries and you walk out. And then the next morning you wake up and do the same thing. Mm. Like it's this feeling of being trapped by like yourself basically. Like, and it's, and every, every day, right? And it's also a huge, like I said, energetic burden because, um, someone like me, who's like a pretty high functioning person, I like do all the normal life things and like probably like above average, amount of like normal life things. And then you have all the OCD things. And so what that looks like is, um, so one of my things is that I really like uh, uniformity and um, like aesthetics. And so everything I own is like white, black, neutral colors, soft tones, whatever. And so I'll spend an extra however many minutes looking for the thing on Amazon that's like the color that I want it to be. (laughs) So like, doesn't matter what it is, right? Like um, fan for your room or like spray bottle for the surface cleaner that you're going to use, like whatever, right? It's like you search for it and then you go to like page 12 to like find the one that looks nice. (laughs) Um, And so it's A, time consuming, right? That's part of the OCD diagnosis is that that it takes X amount of time out of your day. And it's um, just so much brain power, kind of like we were talking about before, right? It's like you're the node for like all of these things in addition to all the things that all the other people in the world like do too. Um, And so at the end of the day, it's just like you're just exhausted. And so I think those are things that people like don't realize is that it's, um, yeah, it just takes, it takes so much from you. Mm. I can only imagine. And I mean like, on the one hand, like you create beautiful like experiences and aesthetics and like, you know, like it's, <laughs> I just am so impressed by your eye for all the things. Um, and that comes at a high cost. 
Totally. And it's, you know, there's some things that I really embraced, right? Like I was just like, yeah, I, this makes me happy and it makes me calm and, um, and it is beautiful. And I love that. So like, I, that's okay with me, right? Like I very much have come to terms with the fact that like, I have to search harder for like the same thing, but it's worth it to me. And then there's other things that, um, really like weren't adding any benefit to my life that I've only been able to release because I'm now like on medication and like receiving treatment. And, um, it's like, you know, night and day, right. It's like the things that like, I couldn't let go of before, um, like specifically like intrusive thoughts. Um, I'm now able to be like, yep. Yeah, okay. That's, you know, that's not for me. Um, and that wasn't even possible for me before. It would just like linger. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so helpful and illuminating. Uh, and just really appreciate your vulnerability and talking about it too. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, sort of in a similar vein, but different question. Um, one of the things I love talking about on the podcast is things we wish we could tell our younger selves or things like we wish we knew when we were younger. Um, and mm. you can totally pick an age or if you just have generic younger self advice, I'm here for that too. But what do you wish you could tell younger Pia? Mm. Um, I wish that she'd had more fun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have always been like an old soul. And so I've always been like a very like serious person. Like as a kid, I was like, I was serious, right? Like I took things seriously. And that's just part of my personality, right? And I don't think that it could have changed. But I do really wish that there was the narrative in my life of like, yeah, this doesn't matter. <laughs> you should just like go have fun. Um so I think that, you know, if and when I do have kids, I, I really want that to be like a part of their experience. Like, of course, like structure and, and rules have a place. Um, and I definitely want to like make sure that there is like fun and joy and like existence for the sake of existence uh, in the lives of my children if I choose to have them. Mm. Definitely. I feel like that for me, I think specifically back to like me immediately like post-college or like early 20s and like I was so worried about like ever figuring out any sort of like career and I, I like wish I could just go back and be like, girl, it's going to be okay. Like <laughs> enjoy being 22, enjoy being 23. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I think about like high school and college and, you know, I just, I took things so seriously, which is, you know, it, it was part of my journey, but I wish I could go back and be like, yeah, you, you live in Isla Vista for like four years. Like just have fun. Go to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay to skip class. You can, you can go to the beach today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Um, well, and my other favorite podcast question to ask is, uh, I'm a big fan of the inspirational post-it note. Um, I'm surrounded mm. by them currently. Uh, one day I will get them all printed in like a beautiful post pre-populated post-it deck of like reminders or things. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, what would you want to put on your post-it or like, what are you currently looking at or reminding yourself of? Mm, I love that. So I don't have post-it notes because OCD. Um, if I do have post-it notes, they have to be white. And then they like, I can't, I'm, I live a paperless life. Um, but my metaphorical post-it note says, um, these days, I think it says like, just show up, mm. show up and try to like make a positive impact on someone's day. Mm. So simple. So simple. <laughs> and like, obviously there's so much in that. <laughs> 
Uh, well, also because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, my required question for everyone I have on the show is if you could change one thing about the world, what's the one thing that you would most like to change? Ooh, what a good question. Oh, okay. I have a layered answer. So my answer is that I really just wish that there were more exceptional things. Mm. Exceptional products, experiences, everything. Like I just wish that there were more really excellent things. And I think that if we can do that, that then translates into solving some of our biggest problems. Um, like if things are really exceptional and excellent, um, I think that that creates the bandwidth to direct that impact towards like the things that matter, whether that's, you know, addressing the, the systemic, systemic issues in our country um, and or like changing the culture that we live in to be uh, more accepting and, and welcoming and understanding um, to, you know, mental health, right? Like having people enjoy the experiences that they have is um, something that I think we could all use more of these days. Mm. I love that so much. And I feel like I'd be remiss not to name um, something I learned from a Tony Robbins event, actually. And I know he's controversial. <laughs> it's a different conversation <laughs> for a different time. But in talking about the gap between like good and excellent, um, this idea that like to get from like average to good is like can be so much work and to yeah. get from like below average to average can be so much work that often when we're operating in the realm of like good we have this idea that it's going to be that same amount of work to get from good to excellent but it's not <laughs> it's, yeah it's totally not <laughs> yeah it's often it's like 10 percent of the work that it took to get from like average to great um yeah and yeah. uh so I love I love that like vision for the future yeah. and also imagine it's like not as far off as it might feel sometimes. Totally. And in my experience, going from good to excellent really just takes being willing to do that like 1% of things that most people are not willing to do, mm -hmm. right? It takes being willing to be like very slightly inconvenienced or spend like a little bit more money or like show up at that place even if it's raining or like whatever, right? Like it's just that like 1% of things that most people would be like, it's not worth it. If you're willing to be like, it is worth it, then I think that's how we get there. Mm. Oh, I love it. Well, I'm curious for people who want to like find you, follow you, keep up with you, go drink coffee at the bus. Like <laughs> where are the best places for people to keep in touch with you? And we'll be sure to include the links to these in the show notes too. Yeah. So um, we're on Instagram. Um, so our Curate Well Co account is at Curate Well Co, all one word. And then our considered Instagram account is consideredsb.co. And currently we're just in Santa Barbara. Um, our, our old bus is um, slow. She can't do long ranges. So um, that is a Santa Barbara only experience, but you can follow us online and um, experience it from afar. And if you're ever passing through town, uh, definitely stop by and see us. Uh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Pia. It's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I'm so inspired by what you're building. I'm so inspired by our work together and so grateful for you. Um, I just really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.